Super excited to share God's word. Excited for God wants, what God wants to do in his house this morning. I want to preface the word a little bit before I start. Oftentimes we come to the word of God and we come to hear preaching and it's this joyful, like, different message where it's just speaking a different language to you. And there's always joy in the word of God, right? Always. But sometimes the word comes with correction. And that kind of pricks a little bit. And that's the kind of message we have today. It's a message that pricks a little bit. But how many know there's joy in correction? We only grow when there's correction. When everything's wonderful, we don't grow. We grow in correction. And sometimes that correction makes us a little uncomfortable in church. But if no one has ever told you, let me help you. Nobody promised you to be comfortable in church all the time. It was never a promise. And if you are comfortable in church all the time, something's wrong. Because the word should convict. The word should make you go, oh, I don't like this today. Why is she not talking about joy? I'm going to talk about joy. But we're going to go through a journey to get there. Okay? So the trick today is this. Is that when you feel uncomfortable, when you hear the word, your flesh wants to stiffen against it. And I'm going to ask you to yield. Don't let your flesh have control. You have control. When you hear the word today and it speaks to you, just yield. That's when change happens. That's when transformation happens. Amen? Because I've been praying for you guys that God would yield all our hearts to his word. Amen? So let me pray before I start. And so, Father, I give you praise today, God. I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you that you're good and faithful, God. And I thank you that you have a plan for every person here today. Nobody's here by chance or coincidence, Lord God. Nobody's watching online by chance or coincidence, Lord God. You have a plan. And so, Father, we pray that as we hear your word today, you would speak to us, Lord God, every single one of us, God. I pray that you'd give us yielded hearts to hear your word and be changed, God. I pray, God, that you'd hide me behind your cross, God, that I wouldn't be seen, but you'd be seen, God. I pray you'd walk up and down the aisles of this church, and that, Father, we would be touched by your spirit, that no one would accept just a good service. Everyone, Lord, would strive to be changed. Come have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. And so I had the privilege two weeks ago of preaching at my alma mater that I went to Bible school for. It's called Zion Bible Institute. They've changed the name to North Point, but when I went, it was Zion. I actually met Pastor Stephanie at Zion. And I had the opportunity to speak to the chapel services, which is a great honor. And so I went to speak, and these are the potential leaders of the church. These are the graduating Bible school students. These are going to be the pastors and the evangelists and the missionaries graduating. And so I felt this enormous responsibility from the Lord of going to speak to his future leaders, his future Pentecostal leaders at that. And so what I wanted to do was give them a state of the union of the Church of America. As I wanted them to understand what the church looked like because they're in this cocoon that's called Bible school. And they're going to be released all over America. And I want them to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so as I gave them the State of the Union, it sounded something like this. The Church of America is in trouble. 
and they all froze. So the Church of America is in trouble. The Church of America does not look like anything she's supposed to look like. She doesn't sound like it, she doesn't look like it, she doesn't live like it. The Church of America is in trouble. The Church of America has lost its way. And I told these potential leaders that their job when they graduate was to help the Church of America find its way. Because we're lost. We have gone off course. David G. Cho, who's the pastor of the biggest church in the world, I shared at the prayer meeting that we had here, he pastors a church in Korea of three million people. Imagine that. Three million people came to America two years ago and left making this statement. He said, America has learned to build church without God. What a horrible statement. They've learned to build church without God. We've learned how to build church for God, not with him. Unfortunately, it's a true statement. The Church of America has lost their way. They have learned to build church minus God. We know how to build nice programs. We know how to do nice events. We know how to do nice things. But God is minus from the equation. It's almost like the statue that we keep to remind us of who we're serving, but we're off course. Somehow we think the purpose of church is to do good things. We think the purpose of the church is to do nice things and to be good people. Now listen, we are to do good things and we are to be nice people. But that's not our purpose. That should be a branch of who we are. It should be the overflow of who we are. But it is not the reason that the church exists. The church exists to make disciples. The church exists to make disciples. When Jesus was ascending, he gave it to us. He didn't say go do nice things. He didn't say go and, and be good people, be nice. He said go make disciples. Go make imitators of me. Go make followers of me. Make people that look like me and sound like me and act like me. Go make disciples. Don't go just do nice things. Make people that look like me. The church should be a Jesus-making machine. We should be a people that gather and are changed into the image of Jesus every day. That's who we're called to be. We're called to be an army of Jesus-like followers. And the fruit of that is good things. But we flipped it on its head. We think the good things make us good. And we think the good things make us like Jesus. They don't. They don't. We have flipped this wrong. And so we have to be very careful as the church what we've allowed to happen. You see, what we've done is we've allowed our message to get mixed up with the message of the world. And what I mean by that is this. We are afraid of the church, as the church, to offend. We are afraid to be perceived as too harsh, or unloving, or uncaring. Do you know what we do? We change our message. We soften it. Hello? We dumb it down. We, 
use different words because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And in the process of dumbing it down, we've changed it. We've changed it. And we've made it a different message. And now the message of the gospel sounds very different. When I was growing up in church, you always heard, come as you are. Have you heard that? Come as you are. You know how true that statement is? A thousand percent true. Come as you are. But somehow in the past time at the church, we've made come as you are to mean stay as you are. It's not true. That's not a true statement. Come as you are, absolutely. Walk in the door any way that you want. But when you walk in this door, you're changing every day. You're not to stay as you are. And if you are staying as you are, you are not a disciple. A disciple is changing every day. Every day. Come as you are, but change every day. Come as you are, but change every day. And if you don't need to change, you don't need to be on planet Earth. Because we all need to change. We all are being shaped and fashioned into the image of Jesus. Come as you are, but change every day. Every day. So I need you to understand that the book of Revelation teaches us something. It teaches us that in the last days, there's going to be a man released on the earth called the Antichrist. Anyone hear of the Antichrist before? And he's going to be a man that wars against the church and against the things of God. But family, you need to understand something. Before the Antichrist is ever revealed on the earth, there is a spirit of Antichrist already present. And it's been present for years, centuries. It is a spirit that wars against the church. It's a spirit that wars against the people of God. It wars and it battles the things that are sacred to us, the things that are precious to us. And it's not a new spirit. It's been present for centuries. But in the last 20, 30 years in America, that spirit is elevated. And it wars against the church. And it wars and it has elevated itself. And the church, instead of recognizing it and calling it out and battling it, we've yielded to it. We've bent over to it. We've made compromises with it. Because we want to be liked. And we don't want to offend and we don't want to hurt. And, and, and we don't. And so we yield to the spirit of the Antichrist and we change our message around. And what we've created is a morphed Christianity. It's not the gospel. We've created this itchy ear, everything's okay gospel. This itchy ear, like, just make everybody happy, gospel. Because we're afraid. But what that's done is it's cost us the power, it's cost us the anointing, it's cost us the ability to see lives transformed. We end up with behavior modification and no transformation. There's no power. There's no power because we've changed the gospel. And this spirit is not a new spirit. Let me show you how far back this spirit goes. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter three.
Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasurable to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took and ate of its fruit. And she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate it. Then their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves covering. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. The first appearance of it in scripture, in the book of Genesis, at creation. Instantly, the enemy comes to challenge the word of God. Instantly. And he comes with this cunning snake who comes and begins to slither his way and begins to challenge the word of God. Did God really say? Did he really say? Does he really mean? Is that what he, is that what he really means? Maybe you misunderstood him. Maybe God meant something else. And he plays this game with Eve. And he plays this game and he keeps playing and playing. And he's like, well, maybe, maybe. And finally, when she's a little adamant, she goes, no, no, he said it. He said, you know why he said it? Because he's afraid that you might. Then he comes straight forward and begins to challenge her again, to challenge God's word. And when he hits something that she can understand or that she believes, she takes that word out of his mouth and she elevates it above the word of God's mouth. And because of that moment, we're all in the mess that we're in now. And family, it's no different than today. It's no different. It's no different. There is this heightened word in our society of your truth. You hear it all the time. Your truth, your truth, your truth, your truth. I hear it all the time. Every TV show, every movie, your truth, your truth, your truth. You have celebrities on TV saying, the most powerful thing you have is your truth. And one million people like it. The church likes it. And they don't hear the deception. One million people are not correct. One million people are deceived. You don't have a truth. I don't have a truth. We have something called opinion. It's not truth. It's opinion. And if a million people like my opinion, it didn't switch it from opinion to truth. It's still opinion. There is only one truth. This is the only thing that's true. This is the only thing that doesn't bend. This is the only truth. This is the only document that is true, through and through, unyielding, unmoving. This is it. It's the word of God. My opinion doesn't elevate over this truth. Society doesn't elevate over this truth. I don't care who said it. This is true. Everything else is a lie. And if my opinion and the word of God come together and they clash, hello? Hello? 
Who changes? You. You. If my opinion and the word of God don't meet, guess who moves? It's not the word. It's you. It's me. And let me tell you something, you don't even have to like it. Sometimes we think we have to like what the word says in order to obey. You don't have to like it. How many liked everything your mom and dad said? You just did it. Because it was right. I'm not going to like everything the word of God says. Anyone here love the scripture that says love your enemy? Hello? Do good to those that want to hurt you. Pray for those who want to persecute you. Those are not fun scriptures. I don't have to like them, but I have to obey them. I don't have to enjoy hearing it. I have to yield to it. Because that's the only time true discipleship happens. Everything else is a game. If I always agree with the word and it never challenges me, something is wrong. But true discipleship happens when my hope, my dreams, my desires, my thoughts, my everything about me meets the word of God and I yield it if it doesn't match. That's discipleship. When I allow the word to change me, that's discipleship. And that's our purpose. That's the purpose of the church, is to allow people to be changed by the word into the image of Jesus. That's when true discipleship happens. But somehow, we've got it in our head that the word of God can be changed. That we can flip it on its head. That we can pick and choose. That we can rephrase things to make it easier for everybody. To make it easier for people to swallow. We think the word of God can be debated. I can like the scripture, but I don't like this one. This one, this one I, you know, I don't really agree with, so I'm on a bell way of, from that one. Oh, we won't teach that one anymore because it's, it's too hard. People don't like it. I don't get to change God's word. It's God's word. It's not my word. We don't even use the word sin anymore. We're afraid to use the word sin. That word is too harsh. Family, it's not our word. It's his word. I don't get to change his word. I don't get to pick the words that I like. We don't want to talk about sin anymore because it, it offends people. Sin is offensive to God. We're so worried about offending people, that, but we're very willing to offend God. We gotta flip that, church. I can't be worried about pleasing man. I have to please God. I can't be afraid to talk about sin. He calls it sin. We can't rename it, which I hear all the time. We call it bad choices or bad decisions or they took the wrong road. No, they sinned. They sinned. And we have to call it what it is. If I change the label on poison to something less, you know what I've done? I've heightened its potency. Let me say that again. If you change the label on poison to something less, you've heightened its potency. If you go to the doctor and the doctor assesses that you have cancer, 
But he goes, oh, you know, that's too harsh of a word. It's too harsh. It's too strong. It's going to hurt their feelings. I'm not going to tell them that. I'm going to tell them they struggle with migraines. And that's what he tells you. You know what he's done? He signed a death warrant. Because you're going to go home, and what are you going to treat? A migraine. And that cancer that's undetected and uncalled out now sits in you, and it festers and it grows, and eventually it'll take your life. That's the same thing we do. If we don't call things sin, we call it other things, we'll deal with all these little symptoms instead of allowing people to get at the root of what's in their life and get healed and get delivered and get set free. If we don't call things what they are, people won't dig them out. They won't deal with them. They'll just let it be buried. And they'll deal with all these superficial things on the outside. And we'll never be a transformed people. If we truly love this world, and we truly love the people around us, we will call things what they are. In love, in grace, absolutely. But we will allow God to do a work. We'll allow God to heal. And then when you, what happens when you begin to clean house like that? Let me tell you what that happens. As the house begins to get cleans like that, you know what that gives room for? The miraculous. It gives room for the power of God to move. It gives room for lives to be transformed. It gives room for deliverance to happen. It gives room. Because the house has been sweeped out. It's been cleaned out. Everybody wants the power of the Spirit. Everybody. Anyone here not want it? Okay. Everyone wants the power of the Spirit. But we forget something. The Holy Spirit's first name is Holy. That's his first name. He wants a holy people. And when the church starts being about discipleship and being about being holy, you know what comes back in? The power of the Spirit. Now there's room for transformation. Now there's room for the miraculous. Now there's room for God to move in his people because we've made him a priority. Being like Jesus has become a priority. It's become clear to us. This is who I'm supposed to be. And everything in me is subject to him. Everything. There shouldn't be a compartment in your life that Jesus can't touch. There should be nothing in your life that Jesus can't go, hey, this got to go. I don't want this in you. It shouldn't be. And as you begin to walk in that holy line, not because God is a judge, not because God is a dictator, but because you love him and he loves you and he doesn't want anything to control you. He doesn't want anything to be Lord over you but him. And as you allow him to do that work in you and in your life, as you subject your life to the word, and this becomes elevated above everything else in your life, including yourself, your own opinion, your own desires, your own will. When you elevate this above everything else, now you've made room for the miraculous to begin to happen. And if truly you want to be a disciple, that's the journey you're on. I want to give you three things to look at as you're walking out this step of being a true disciple. The first thing, recklessly obey the word of God. Recklessly obey the word of God. 
Can you throw up that verse for me, Tammy? Hallelujah. Colossians 3, 5. Listen to the verse. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Let me ask you a question. Does that verse sound negotiable? Put to death. He didn't say talk to it, hang out with it, have dinner. He said put it to death. Why do we think these things are negotiable? God is very clear. Put to death these things. Recklessly obey the word of God. Recklessly obey. If he says put it to death, put it to death. If he says get rid of it, get rid of it. Don't entertain it, don't play with it. Recklessly obey him. When I was in Africa a couple years ago, we had just finished church service and we were in the back having lunch. We're in this big uh, like fellowship hall. And this woman walks in, I still remember her clear, she was wearing a yellow dress, beautiful African woman, but she comes in and she's having a stroke. Her entire body is limped over one side, her arm is dead. She's dragging in her foot, her lip is dropped, her eyes dropped, so I see her and I'm like, guys, this woman's having a stroke, so we all run over to her. And we're like, ma'am, what are you doing here? And she said, well, I'm having, I know I'm having a stroke, she could feel it. And her words were beginning to slur really badly. She said, I know I'm having a stroke, but if I go to the hospital, I'm going to wait five, six hours. I'll die before they ever see me. So I just walked into church, hoping that you guys would pray. Smart woman. So she walked in, we sat her down, we began to pray. And I don't know if you've ever felt this, and it was one of the few times I've ever felt it in my life, but my prayer felt like a ping pong ball. It hit the wall and it came right back to me. It's like, what in the world was that? So I pray it again, it hits the wall and it comes right back to me. It won't leave the room. The prayer won't leave the room. And I said, Lord, what is this? And I began to just seek the Lord because I, I didn't understand what was happening. And the Lord said, she's full of unforgiveness. Full. So I began to talk to her. And we translate her and said, ma'am, is there unforgiveness in your heart? She goes, absolutely. And she began to list all these people in her life who had done these atrocities to her. She had a very tragic life. I said, there's a problem. I can't pray for you. She's like, what do you mean? I said, there's a wall. I can't pray for you. She was in shock. She didn't know what to do. And I said, the way I can pray for you right now is if you make a decision to forgive. If you make a decision to yield to the word of God. And she said, I can't. I said, no, no. It's not that you can't. It's that you won't. I can do all things through Christ. You can forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. And she began to list what these people did, and I grabbed her hand, and I said, I understand that you have had a terrible life, and I'm sorry for that, but today you're at a crossroads. Do you choose to forgive? Because it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. Will you release these things to the Lord? And she said, if you'll help me. I said, absolutely. And we began to pray together, and we began to go through each person and she began to decide to forgive as she walked and forgave and forgave and forgave. And as she's doing it, church, I want to tell you, she looked lighter. Like she started losing weight right in front of our eyes because unforgiveness carries a weight with it. And then she finished. I said, now let's pray for you, Haley. Family, like a rocket. My prayer left that room like a rocket. As we're praying, I literally opened my eyes because I felt the surge in the spirit. I look at her. Her lip is beginning to straighten up. Her eyes beginning to open full. She's, her shoulders are coming back. Her arm is, and 
By the time we said amen, I said, stand up. She stood up. She walked like she was nothing wrong with her. Completely and totally healed. Every symptom was gone because she chose to recklessly obey the word of God. Recklessly obey the word of God. Recklessly obey it. Second, live surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Live surrendered to the Holy Spirit. You might look at some of the things that you object to in the word of God or the things that challenge you in the word of God or the things God is asking you to do and say, God, I can't do it. Listen, God is so good. He has not left you to do it alone. He has given you the Holy Spirit, which is your dudamus. It's your power. It's your power. What you cannot do, the Holy Spirit in you will enable you to do anything. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't overcome. There's no sin that holds you today that you cannot break. There's no bondage. There's no nothing, no hurt, nothing. No sickness, nothing can hold you. You hear me? Nothing. When you surrender to the Holy Spirit and you give him access, Holy Spirit, whatever you want, whatever you want, give me the power, give me the anointing, give me the liberty. There is nothing that cannot be defeated. Mama Sonia will remember we did a prayer meeting for the women, I don't know, maybe three months, four months ago, and I asked any woman in the room that was struggling with depression to come up. And they had been struggling for years, some of them for years with depression. And they were, some of them were like, well, you know, we've prayed so many times. I said, pray again. Pray until you get your answer. So they came up, 12 women, 12 women left free. Amen? 12 women left free. And those 12 women are still free today, six months later. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is untouchable. You just have to yield to him. You have to surrender to him. And finally, be willing willing to be changed every day. Every single day. Every day, look at your life and say, do I look more like Jesus today than yesterday? Do I look more like Jesus today? Because that's the marker. That's the marker. The marker is, do I look more like Jesus? It's not good deeds. You know, that's the problem with good deeds, family, is that it's almost deceptive into making me think me and God are okay. Because I've done good things. I've been generous. I've done a lot of nice things. So it gives me this deception that me and God are okay. Unsaved people do generous things all the time. Foundations give away millions of dollars. They're not going to heaven, church. Hello? That's the problem with those things, is that it gives us this deception that we're okay. But the scripture's clear. Obedience rather than sacrifice. Obedience, bad, sacrifice never gets God's ear. You know why? He doesn't need us. He made this world without us. Do you think he really needs our good deeds? He snaps his fingers, everything can be done. He allows us to do good things. What grabs God's ear is obedience. What grabs his heart is obedience. That's what grabs his heart. It's not sacrifice. It's obedience. So every day, I need to allow God to change me. Every day, I need to be willing to be wrong and be changed. Every day, I need to be willing to allow God to speak into my life and change me. Because the last time I checked, none of us have arrived. 
We're all on this journey to be more like Jesus. And the path to true discipleship is every single day, step by step by step by step. You should look back at your life last year and say, wow, I've grown. I got a ways to go, but I've grown. That was part of my life then. It's not part of my life now. I struggled with that before. I don't struggle with it now. I've grown, I've grown, I've grown. That's the path of discipleship. But if you're not willing to allow God to change you every day, you've stumped your own growth. Open up your heart and say, God, I am willing for you to change me every day into the image of Jesus. That is our purpose. We are the church. We're not the Peace Corps. We're not the Job Corps. We're not social services. We are the church. And the church's purpose is to make an army of Jesus imitators that walk and live and speak and act like Jesus. My fa- one of my favorite verses is found in the book of Acts where the apostles are arrested and they're standing before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is trying to debate these two, they say, uneducated fishermen. And they said they marveled at these uneducated fishermen because they look like Jesus. May that be said of us, amen? That we look like him, that we sound like him, that we live like him, that we love like him. May this be an army. May the Church of America wake up and become Christ-like imitators and stop worrying about offending man and start doing what we're called to do, which is to make disciples all over the world for the kingdom's sake, amen?